Canada. Hello. First, I want to say I'm really glad we came to Toronto. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is our continued coverage of the 2023 Toronto International Film Festival. I'm Christopher Stacey. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest films coming to a theater near you. Except for in these couple episodes, we were talking about all the films that we caught at the at TIFF this year. Um, so we already had a part one, which has been in your feeds, um, which had roughly 10 episodes, uh, films in it. We are still in the Airbnb. We have hit record on the episode, and we're going to try to record another 10 reviews for you. And then, you know, we're going to fly home tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. And then, uh, you know, the next review will hopefully uh, sound potentially better than it does when recording in yeah, a stranger's when, living room. But when we finally wake up and do it in three months from now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true. We have our coma from the festival. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, are you, are you excited to get back into it, Stephen? Oh, yeah, I'm ready. Are you also excited to be done with the festival? Definitely. The thing about <laughs> these festivals is I love them. You know, I, I know every year that they're going to be intense. They always end with this massive hangover. Love it in the moment. Love seeing all these movies. After like day six or seven of <laughs> three, four plus films a day, you start to wonder if you even like movies anymore. <laughs> um, and then occasionally things will surprise me and like make me remember why I love it. And I still am gratified staying for the whole thing. But yeah, full week is a whole lot of movies to watch. And I definitely start to get tired after a while. Yeah, I mean, it, it would be one thing if we could program them magically, right? Where we're like, hey, this is, I'm curious about this. We'll front load that and then build towards the things that you're already expecting to really blow you away. Um, but obviously we have no control over the programming at TIFF. We're just... Uh, booking tickets for things that we think we can get into and uh, padded the schedule that way. So we are kind of just, you know, each day was a nice little adventure to figure out what we were going to get that day. Um, and we're going to carry you through a couple days of the festival here. Um, are you ready to get started, Stephen? Yep, let's do it. All right, let's go. All right. Uh, so the first film that we're discussing today is Close to You. Uh, the film is directed by Dominic Savage, but all the conversations about the movie have kind of helmed around Elliot Page, who not only stars in this movie, but seems to be like the primary creative force behind the movie being made. Uh, it tells a very, very personal story of a character who comes home after a long time away. Uh, I, I forget what city they moved to. Toronto, actually. Yeah, yeah, set, yeah, in, yeah. set in Toronto. <laughs> uh, so he's moved to Toronto and been away from his family for five years. Uh, and one of the reasons for that, it's not quite estrangement, they have a relationship, but for that distance is that when he left, he was very kind of depressed and uncertain of who he was. And his family was loving, but not not the right fit for him. And now that he's coming back, he has transitioned uh, and is now a man. Um, and his family is supportive. You know, they love him, they care about him. But this is a movie about all the kind of awkward interactions, the minor aggressions, the discomfort of coming home, even with people who think they're trying to be supportive, the way they just don't really recognize who he is anymore and just reminders of, of his history and all of the kind of difficult times of living in this family back when he wasn't entirely sure who he was. Um, I thought there was a 70-minute movie here, which was among my absolute favorites of the festival. Uh, I thought it was a piercing, raw, really lovely drama about family, the trans experience, how it feels to become who you are and have people 
even if they hypothetically accept you, they just don't understand you and the distance that that creates. I, I thought it was a really, really beautiful, forgiving, but also hard movie. And I, I was so moved by it. Then there's another <laughs> 20, 30 something minutes to pad this out into a full feature, which tells a very different story. Uh, I won't spoil it, but it has nothing to do with the family. And it, I understand on paper why they went this way. I, I get the idea of telling more stories about trans life than just kind of the negatives, the difficulties of coming home to the family. But to me, it just didn't fit at all. It felt like it was an entirely different movie. So I had this weird thing where I like, I adored a ton of this movie and then other parts of it actively took me out. So I, I'm really happy this exists. I, I think it's a really moving statement by Elliot Page, and I'm excited for people to get to see it. But I, I just wish the movie had focused on that core idea a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, there's not a lot more to say about it. Um, but, I, I, you know, when I was watching this film, it was really two different stories that were being told. One was a beautiful, touching family drama, um, as you said, that like focuses on what the trans experience is and what it's like to have family members who love you and care about you, but maybe don't know the proper way to be around you or communicate that love to you. Um, and then the other part of it is this sort of fantasy story about coming home and what might have been there a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And I think one of those stories is brilliant and would have been like a very, very, uh, you know, it, it would have been a film that coming away from this festival, I would have been like, oh, man, you really have to stay close to you. And then the problem is that that second story is not it is woven throughout the film, but the film swerves hard into focusing only primarily on that for, as Stephen said, the last 20 minutes of the film. And that that side film kind of lost me so hard um, that it left me kind of feeling disappointed in what the like what the actual final product of this film was um and it's like man it, it's just so close to being a great film and then just shoehorns in this extra stuff which i didn't believe and didn't feel to be authentic um myself it just it was just one of those things where i was like mm, you really just had to throw the story in there at the end didn't you um filmmakers it's just like it's like ah, we didn't need it it didn't add anything and it kind of took away from kind of the arc of what uh, the character is going through with the family. So for me, it, you know, left a bad taste in my mouth. Um, but for so much of it, I was vibing with it. It hits you the way, you know, the film attends you. Like, there's definitely moments where I got a little teary-eyed in there. Yeah. You know, there's some big moments of, um, you know, there's, there's humorous moments. There's really, really touching, you know, heart-to-heart -heart conversations between members of the family. There's there's big explosions that happen, you know, in the family. Um, and you know, I I I really really liked it until I didn't. Um, and that's that's uh, it's just a shame. But yeah, I, I don't know if my memory is just missing something, but I believe this was the only moment in the fest that I teared up was in this movie. I it definitely it has that like really profound tear jerking naturalistic story that I vibe with so hard. And and like you, when it veers away from the naturalism is when it kind of loses me. Yeah, and it was one of those things where I was like slowly in my head going, don't, don't, don't do it, don't do it. And, it, and, and, and the thing too is like we, we were kind of talking as we left the theater that like I would almost accept the swerve, but the specific way it swerves and the, 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 the stuff that comes out of the character's mouth and, and what the character's asking of other people is, is where it, like, it really, really leaned into that swerve in a way that I was kind of like, ooh, you're, you're continuing to lose me the further this goes. Mm -hmm. But uh, but yeah, um, that is close to you. Um, 
Let's see, moving on to the next film uh, that we saw. Uh, that's a little film called Backspot, um, which is a film that is about um, two... They, they're they they're in high school, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's two high schoolers um, who are in a relationship. And uh, both of these young girls are, they're on like a junior varsity kind of uh, uh, cheerleading squad. And um, basically, the, it's a few weeks before finals or the championship or whatever. And the varsity team ends up having a bunch of injuries, which open up a few spots. And it's about these two girls who, um, you know, the instructor comes over from varsity and goes like, Hey, we have some spots opening up championships is three weeks away. Who here is fast learners that we can get in there. And they all kind of make this elite team squad. And um, it's kind of about how making this team affects them, their relationship with each other, um, you know, their feelings about themselves and their, uh, I guess, I guess love of the sport of cheerleading. Um, And it's really just, you know, it's a drama about like, Hey, you know, big tier uh performances right um and the reason i'm struggling to kind of describe this film is because to me this wasn't a film about uh you know extreme uh you know athletes at the top of their game this feels like a uh, a film that is about loving the sport of cheerleading but not necessarily being able to film the sport of cheerleading in a way that was compelling to me um this felt like a a very simple story about people trying to get in this league but i think for a film where characters are constantly saying this is really fucking serious shit we could die at any moment and then what you're watching them is just doing tumbles and then it feels like the director is shooting around the actor's inability to do the most dangerous cheer stunts and i kind of felt like the the entire film i was watching it going like "Mm, i like this film is fine but also there's like this conflict between the way the characters talk about the sport that they're doing and the way the director is able to or, or is unable to show that sport that maybe just feel like kind of I, I mean, I, I feel bad in my distaste for this film just because it feels like it's a it's a perfectly fine film. But I think I was expecting more of a a dissection of what it means to be like, I wanted whiplash basically mm-hmm. for cheerleading. And what I got was like mediocre cheering. Right. <laughs> like, uh, being presented on a film where characters were talking about how amazing it was what you're watching. You know, there's lots of there's lots of sports things that we watch where I don't understand the sport at all. You know, like, you know, you know, uh, Formula One racing. Right. right. <laughs> but I can still watch it and be impressed by the way it's being shot and and what seems like the extremeness of the sport that I'm watching. I didn't feel any of that in this film. And it kind of just like I walked away going like, oh, that movie was cute. Um, But also it didn't it didn't seem like it seemed like they didn't find really, really strong cheerleaders and try to teach them to act. They found people who could act and then tried to teach them to do the cheerleader stunts. And that for me is a combination that does not work. Um, especially when we started the festival with such strong films, then we get to this one and it was kind of like, Ooh, I'm not feeling it. So now that I'm done beating up on high school girls, yeah, even all the, all the poor high school cheerleaders who were in attendance in the audience that heard a podcast is about them and heard Chris saying that <laughs> they're not athletic enough. I kid, I kid, I kid. I, I completely understand. And, 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 they're athletic enough. I just don't think they are skilled enough at the dangerous things mm. that they're talking about doing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, and also, you know, 
just get a stunt person to do the actual fall. Like, don't have the fall be off screen and somebody be like, oh, my God, my neck. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I was generally positive about this movie. But like you, it was kind of muted positive with the very heavy festival movie asterisk. Um, I think even though probably the existence of Cheer by Netflix is what made this movie something that could get funded <laughs> and created, I think that documentary series is one of the most difficult things for this movie to overcome. Um, because that was a documentary which did highlight the incredible danger that cheerleaders undergo. And of course, it wasn't high schoolers. This was college cheerleading and college cheerleading at the most intense level, like the best junior school in the world. And junior schools are where the really, really, really intense cheerleading groups apparently are. Um, so with that, we had a documentary that had really powerful emotional beats and also like thrilling action moments and spectacles where you were genuinely afraid for the main characters. This movie is about high schoolers. And I thought the cheering looked authentic enough. But like you said, it never feels intense or terrifying or scary enough, which makes sense because they're high schoolers. Like it, th this movie isn't going to put them in harm's way and it's a low budget movie and they can't really pull enough tricks out of their hat to make it feel like a death defying thing. Yeah. Um, I also think it kind of yada, yada, yadas over some of the ambition aspect of the movie. It, t it tells us that this is very intense. It requires training. It requires your whole life to be devoted to this and you can alienate other people in the process. And it's almost like they are aware of the existence of those movies so much that they're like, we don't need to show you why this is true this time because it kind of felt disjointed where it was like a story of these high school girls who cheerlead and we are told that the cheerleading is brutal and intense, but we don't actually see anything about their interactions that makes that obvious what the sacrifice is. Yeah. Um, with that said, I found the main characters, the girls in front, very charming. You know, I, I thought they were, like, really good in their roles. And when it is just interpersonal things between them, I really believe that. And I would have totally been into that more, like, natural high school drama. Yeah. I also think Evan Rachel Wood is, like, super juicy <laughs> as, uh, <laughs> as this kind of a horrifying... Uh, cheerleading mom figure who doesn't want to be a mom figure you know uh which again if you watch the netflix documentary cheer this is this is a thing that happens with the person who leads the group they are kind All of right. god to them and it's a kind of heavy power that they wield um there's a lot of stuff i liked about it but it never came together it's the sort of thing if it wasn't at a festival that i don't i don't think i would really have caught this but it was having you know the, the high schoolers in the audience and everything watching the movie with us I, I was charmed enough by this but it didn't clear any massive heights for me yeah yeah cool um moving on yeah uh so next is a film called mimang uh this is a korean movie that is hard to explain um the word mimang is a word that means many things in korean uh, they told us this at the beginning of the film it means widow, but it also can be used to mean a bunch of different expressions. And the whole film is kind of this, um, I don't know, meditation on the ways the same experience repeated in different ways can mean different things to you or evoke different feelings. It started seeming like this was going to be a before sunrise uh, set in Seoul. And I was so ready for it. <laughs> um, loved me that idea. And it wound up being much more muted than that. Uh, I was talking to you on the way home and comparing this to the films of Hong Sang-soo. I think this is very, very much similar to that. Characters kind of have the same um 
thoughtful but meandering conversations that repeat each other a few times as they talk to different people and they go on the same walks and the the conversations kind of layer over each other and touch on similar themes and it's supposed to be a a quiet space for you to kind of sit and reflect on life um I was honestly very much vibing with this movie until about halfway through when it decided to do a time jump and suddenly became a different, broader movie about like the the nature of life. And I just felt like that was a big swing for a movie this small and delicate <laughs> to make. And for me, after that happened, it was kind of hard for me to keep following the emotional logic or how this future state has anything to do with the past in terms of what the conversations had revealed before. I... I like the contemplative style. I'm someone who can just vibe with the movie pretty well. And this definitely was a calming thing that I I liked a lot of the earlier parts of young people having conversations. But I I can't tell you what it all adds up to. I think some of the, the concept of Mimang is maybe lost in translation for, a, for an American audience. So I liked it, but I liked it as a very delicate experience, almost like I'm going to a museum, not like a, a film with a narrative that I was yeah. following in a meaningful way. Yeah, well, the, when the director was giving the explanation about, you know, the word Mimang being translated or to having many different meanings, he did say it doesn't actually translate in English. And I guess mm -hmm. that turned out to be true. Um, but yeah, so so at the start of Mimang, I, I was I was also kind of vibing with it, you know, like w when we were picking this for the for for being on our docket for the festival, you know, I was kind of drawn to the as you said, like the, this, it was supposed to be it seemed like from the description, it was going to be about like people who met met and what their relationship is like over a period of like, I forget if it's like four years or it's some amount of time. Um, in my head, I, whatever, however many years the description said, I expected it to be a lot more. And I was expecting this along, like not, not quite a boyhood situation, but I, w I was expecting more of a, like how a relationship develops over time, where it goes and where people are at different times. Um, and instead it was kind of this like, like bouncing back and forth between these little vignettes that are all titled with a translation for the word Mimeng and mm -hmm. then kind of following different groupings of these characters around. And I kind of, as soon as we started jumping between like, you know, we, we first start out with somebody who's, who's walking, I forget where he's going, but he meets up with somebody that he knows who's walking to a, uh, a movie theater yeah. and they walk together and talk. So you're listening to a conversation. They bring up some anecdotes about their, some different stuff and immediately we get jumped to another situation, same guy walking in the exact same streets, having the exact same conversation, but it's a different woman who he is with, but he's referencing the time that he was meeting. A per like it, it, there, there are times where like it keeps kind of folding back on itself. And I kind of, you know, these are late showings that, that this movie was at. And I was kind of getting lost in the shuffle of what it was trying to do. I was paying too much attention to the conversations that were being had and not enough to which characters were present at which point in time. Right. Um, so I, yeah, it, it, I definitely had trouble following along with this film. And, um, you know, I, it, it's hard to talk about it other than to admit <laughs> that yeah. up front. <laughs> Yeah, the best thing I can say is that you should watch Right Now, Wrong Then by Hong Sang-soo, because I think it's going to give you the, the talky, contemplative thing that you're looking for. Okay. Then I will add it to the list. <laughs> uh, but for now, I'll go on to the next item on the list, um, which was a little film called Royal Hotel, um, which is a film that I think we were, we were both kind of excited for. Um, was this one that we didn't think we were going to get in, and then we finally got one last minute uh, it, it at some point? It wasn't entirely last minute, but yeah, okay. I think it was pretty... 
pretty close to the festival, I gripped my teeth and went on StubHub and <laughs> decided to grab it. Nice. Um, well, uh, turned out that might have been a good thing. Um, but basically, the Royal T- Hotel is a story about two girls who are on vacation on Australia. Um, you know, they're 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 doing the the fun normal Australia trip, and then they kind of run out of money, so they approach a travel agent and go like, uh. What can we do that's as cheap as possible? And basically, they pick this like remote area in Australia um, where they're just kind of going out in the middle of some place and they kind of get stationed where they're going to work at this bar um, at this place called the Royal Hotel. And it's sort of the experience of these two girls um, going there, working there, and uh, maybe the levels of unsafeness they might feel uh, as they kind of interact with the locals in this mining town in some wherever it is in Australia. And it's it's really a film. This is from the filmmaker who made uh, The Assistant, um, which is a film that we've we have a review uh, in the feeds that you can search for. Um, but you know, we were excited to see where this is going to go. Um, I think this is a film that you know it, it's a film that you know you start off. Um, and you know things are potentially going to get a little hairy just because these two young girls alone going to this like you know mining town. Even even the uh, the travel agent person is like, just you know, it's like a mining town. It's a little rough there, uh, so you know, keep your wits about you or whatever. Um, and you know, we also knew it was possibly going to go bad for them um, because. Uh, there was a drunk Australian guy in the seat behind us who was like, oh, no, this ain't going to be good. <laughs> I love when characters in movies happen to be sitting next to us in screenings. It's really nice. It adds to the experience. Yeah, there, there, was, a, there was a nice Australian gentleman behind us who was, uh, you know, remarking about all the different scenery and places that he's been to in Australia, because that's where he's clearly from. Um, but anyways, uh, back to the story at hand. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought, I thought this, this, this film was very, very interesting and it was compelling. And all along you're watching this like slow burn of things, just kind of unraveling and unraveling and getting kind of more and more, um, just rowdy in general, right? Like, like this is a a bunch of people who are all super rowdy in this mining town and you're kind of just waiting for things to get worse and worse for these girls. And you're kind of just watching them figure out how they're going to deal, whether they're going to retreat from themselves, whether they're going to try to participate in maybe the rowdiness. And you're kind of just watching it all play out. You don't always know where it's going. Um, there's always this, this tension that you're like leaning forward, like trying to be like, oh, okay, what's, what's going to happen next? Where is this going? Um, and I think in the end, it kind of feels a little bit like a fantasy um, kind of story where it doesn't necessarily end at like where my logical ending place for the story might be. But the vibe of this film is great. Um, and I really, really loved it. I think Stephen and I might have a little bit of different interpretation of what this film is kind of doing. So I'll throw to you to talk about what you thought of the film. And then maybe we can, I don't know. I don't know if there's a way to talk about it ambiguously. Yeah, without spoiling yeah, anything. But um, Yeah, I mean, my... First of all, I thought this movie was awesome. Uh, I loved The Assistant b- before this, and the idea of Kitty Green keening, uh, teaming up with Julia Garner again was just really exciting. And I think these movies are two really interesting contrasts in ways to talk about like toxic masculinity and the, the structures that uphold a terrible system. Uh, the Assistant was all about like muting the drama to show you the kind of banal, terrible way that this office functioned that propped up its Harvey Weinstein-esque character. And this movie, it feels like Kitty Green is veering in the opposite direction and just tuning up the threat, like the implicit 
terrible things behind innocuous-ish seeming statements that terrible men are making. Um, and she's doing it in a way that only one of the protagonists can really hear. You know, this is kind of a movie about horrifying, toxic behavior, but it's also a movie about the world kind of gaslighting one character where she feels threatened all the time. And pretty much everyone shakes it off and goes like, no, 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 don't worry about it. You're being dramatic. You're being ridiculous. Smile. It, it's all fine. Um, and this is just kind of a movie about letting that tension build and build and build until it eventually explodes, which I think is fair enough to say. Yeah. Um, I think this movie is really, really clever and also a whole lot of fun. I think it builds dread incredibly well. Um, I compared it positively to Alex Garland's men when we were talking before <laughs> as because this is like doing a kind of similar thing, but it is not a sort of torturous, you know, brutal exercise. It's it's terrifying in a kind of psychologically thrilling way, not in a like gauntlet for the audience to sit through away. And I think yeah. it has a it has some real moments of hoorah. It reminded me weirdly of Ready or Not. <laughs> which, I don't know if it's just because there was a weaving in the movie that uh, it made me think of it. But I, I, it, yeah. it was just a I thought it was like a crowd pleaser and also a movie that is doing something really interesting and unpacking toxic masculinity. And I just I, I really liked what this movie was doing. I don't know or care how much of it is literal and that's yeah, what yeah. you're hinting at and we don't have to say any more than that yeah, yeah. but i think the director is very obviously showing a kind of hyperbolic fantasy uh, she's like amplifying toxic structures uh whereas before she was kind of quieting down and trying to make it as natural as possible and i think both both basically are different ways of skinning the same cat yeah, yeah. uh all right uh, so the next movie is a little film called Hitman by this up-and-coming director I don't know if you've heard of before. His name is uh, Rickard Link uh, Richard Linkletter. <laughs> so the moment I knew Richard Linkletter had a new film at TIFF, I was really excited for this one. Uh, it follows Glenn Powell, uh, who you may know from Top Gun Maverick, as a... He is a philosophy <laughs> teacher uh, or professor by day. I, I watched... I watched that whole movie and did not make that connection. Really? Okay. Well, now you now you know. Um, it was because you know his his ability to sink into the characters. Yeah. Was so strong. Yeah. So I I have not watched a trailer for this movie, so I will do my best to explain it and hope I'm not giving anything away that isn't already in the premise. Um, he's basically a philosophy professor, a nerdy guy who also works in his spare time uh, with a police department as someone who, I believe at first he was listening or analyzing uh, conversations that people would have with hitmen uh, to try to help tease them, maybe not entrapment, but try to like psychologically evaluate what they're going to do so the police can catch them in the act. Uh, yeah. Gosh, it sounds a lot like entrapment when I say it like that. Oh, it's 100% entrapment, but I, <laughs> uh, I guess... And the movie uh, knows it. Yeah, um, yeah. But... <laughs> well, some of the characters know yeah. it. So, shortly into the movie, um, circumstances arise that make him, rather than just be in the background listening, have to actually play the hitman, be the imaginary person who people hire who will murder, you know, their loved ones or whoever wronged them. Um the joy of this movie really comes down to Glenn Powell's charisma. He has so many fun moments where he is playing just wildly different characters. You know, he is this nerdy kind of um, 
nebbish dude in his professorial life. And then the moment he has to play a hitman, he is suave, he is calculating, or he is very, very silly. Um, and then this kind of turns into a not noir, but a seductive little thriller where he falls for one of the people who hires his fake character. Uh, I won't say more than that, except to say that I thought this movie was a whole lot of fun. Um, it's the kind of, like, silly but serious movie that I feel like we just don't get a lot anymore. And Richard Linklater never seems like he's taking himself too seriously or trying to be too, like, artsy-fartsy about it. But because of that fun pace that the movie unfolds at it, it is a kind of interesting head scratcher like when you think about it later you think wow that was that movie actually brought up a lot of interesting thoughts about how we compartmentalize things and how we become who we pretend to be and i i, I just thought this was a really really fun uh, movie and i think people are going to love it when it comes out christopher what did you think yeah, um, I, you know, I, I didn't know what to expect going into this film. Like, I knew it was called Hitman. I saw the Top Gun guy, but wasn't making the connection. It was the Top Gun guy on it. And I was kind of like, whatever, this, this should be fun. You know, we'll see how it goes. Um, you know, when Richard Linklater introduced the film, he was talking about how he wanted it. Like, he basically gave the spiel about how there's no such thing as Hitman. Like, for some reason you know media has like like movies and and television have taught us that there are these things called hitmen but has anybody ever met or talked to a hitman no that must mean that there are no hitmen and that every hitman is just somebody in trying to entrap you so don't ever try to hire a hitman right at least um, at least like a standard hitman for hire you know yeah, like yeah. they probably exist within organizations and stuff but not as like rogue agents who you can just find yeah, and yeah, pay yeah. money i mean assassins definitely oh, exist yeah, sure. but, but yeah. hitman uh, that's course. that's uh <laughs> that's just a thing that couldn't exist and he just said he wanted to make like a sexy hitman story and i was like all right cool this sounds like it could be fun and I, like, I fucking love this movie. <laughs> this, this movie is so fun. It's one of those things where, like, you know, sometimes you watch a film and you're like, all right, this one, like, you know, you're, you're like, you point to one person in the cast. You're like, all right, that person knew what kind of movie they were in and they were doing their own thing and they were amazing. The rest of the film is super ser overly serious and doesn't get it. Like, this film is one of the rare films where every single person in the cast knows exactly which movie they're yes. in, and they're just executing it perfectly, exactly the way it needs to be. And, like, it is so fucking funny. It is... Um, you know, it's, it's smart too. like, it, it's, it's clever in what it's trying to do. Um, the performances that, you, that he's getting out of all these people are just like pitch perfect. Everything like that. The, I have, I have no notes for this film. Like yeah. I loved every second of it. Even when like, there's like little things where like you kind of assume we're like, you know, where things might go or, or individual interactions, how things might go. Just the film is like, no, I'm just going to do even more than what you're expecting. <laughs> And take it even in a weirder way and kind of just like I this is one of those films that like, you know, we saw 30 things at this festival. And, you know, there were times when I was like, I kind of want to fly home and be done. Yep. This is one of those times where I was like, I don't want this movie to end ever <laughs> because I'm having so much fun with it. And it's like when I was sitting down to, you know, like working on like a stack ranking for everything in this festival. This was one of those ones where I was like, I don't know where to put this because mm -hmm. there's things that are definitely like, quote unquote, better than it they're more you know filmic or whatever you know they're, they're more cinematic than what this film was doing this film is just so bright and funny and just like everybody enjoyed themselves 
in the film, in the audience, everywhere. And I, and I think that like it's it's such a crowd pleaser, um, especially if I'm in the crowd. <laughs> uh, but I, I just yeah, I, I I loved it. I thought it was so fun. I can't wait to watch it again. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think he he wanted to make a sexy hitman thriller. He he made a sexy hitman thriller thing. I mean, it was great <laughs> yeah i mean my my only note for it is not a fair note it was just my expectations which i think he made the richard linkletter sexy thriller and there's something about the linkletter style where it's so kind of like laid back and not taken itself seriously that is really fun in the moment but puts like a ceiling on how much i can be super invested in the movie mm. and so it I, I really enjoyed myself. I, I enjoyed myself a lot. But my only note is, like, I think someone could do a more twisted version of this that I would love more. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's definitely possible, but no one did, Stephen. I know. <laughs> All right, so moving on to the next film on the list um, is a little film called uh, Nyad, um, which is the sort of uh, dramatization of the real-life story of... Is Diana Nyad, right? Yeah. Yeah, Diana Nyad, who... Uh, swam from uh, Florida or Cuba to Florida. Cuba to Florida. No, Florida. To Cuba, yeah, Cuba, to- Cuba to Florida. Um, uh, she did this real life swim. Uh, I mean, un- unassist, like not assisted by a cage to protect her from sharks and box jellyfish and a bunch of other things. Um, but basically, did this uh, swim at sixty three, sixty four, at least in her sixties. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so somewhere in close to mid sixties after. You know, doing multiple attempts. That's what I'll say for now. Um, You know, she wanted to do it when she was really, really young and uh, achieved it when she was um, 60-something. And this is sort of the story about her and her, her, like, you know, lifetime friend, um, Bonnie, who was kind of with her throughout the whole thing and kind of her uh, acted as her coach and sort of best friend to take her through this journey to try to do it. And it's, you know, it's kind of a a look at um, this woman and what it takes to push yourself to do something. It was, it was like a hundred miles or something like that. It was it's, ridiculous. I yeah. think over a hundred miles. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's an insane swim that you have to swim for, was it 60 hours straight is yeah. or 60 something hours straight just to achieve it. Like if, if you throw out physical exertion and do everything, it would take you just 60 hours just to make the journey. If there was no bad weather, no sharks, no box jellyfish, no exhaustion, no nothing. Um, and, you know, she was the first person to be able to do this. Um, it, it, the premise you're watching is this real life story. So I feel right. It, I'm not spoiling that she achieves her goal in by the end of the film, but like it's the selling point is this woman did this. Yeah. I, now I, watch I the have story. a feeling based on talking to other people that anyone slightly older than myself probably knows this story and finds it crazy that we're even explaining who she is. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, I wasn't super familiar with her, but like I text some people when I got out of the screen, I was like, Hey, this is coming to Netflix. And they're like, Oh yeah, I met her. It's yeah. cool. <laughs> and I was like, all right, cool. Everybody knows that people at work were talking about uh, her. Um, so it, it's, it is a film and it's from uh, the folks who did free solo and, yeah. And uh, Meru, um, and you know it's it's uh it's 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 good. It's, it's decent. It's 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 a decent film. I enjoyed myself a lot. It's kind of it's kind of just this story of like, hey, what if I tried to do this crazy swim multiple times? Watch me do it multiple times and then do it right. Yeah. And, and I think that it's 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 well made. I love the 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 chemistry that these two characters have together. Their bond and. You know, you really get to see what it takes to like the sheer force of will that Nyad possesses to be able to decide I'm going to do this thing and to put herself 
through everything it takes to actually do it and achieve it. Um, and for that, I enjoyed it. I mean, in, in the end, it's not a, a thing that I'm necessarily going to stick. It's, it's not going to stick with me that much, but watching it, I was drawn in the whole time. I liked the characters, you know, like, you know, all, all, all of them, right? Like everyone yeah. from the, the boat captain to Nyad herself and uh, Bonnie character, like, you know, it, it's, you care about these people because they draw you into their personalities and you're invested in that. And you're kind of like, they're cheering her on as she uh, attempts to do this. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoyed the film. Um, and yeah, what, what did you think, Steven? Uh, yeah, I thought this movie was a totally solid, very enjoyable, um, inspirational sports movie. Um, I Like you said, it's totally well-made. It's captivating. It holds you from beginning to end. Uh, I think the two leads, Annette Benning and Jodie Foster, are really great in this movie. And especially, we, we were able to see at least one of the people, the real-life Bonnie, in person. Uh, and there's also lots of footage of Diana Nyad. So you can really see that, like... Not only did they manage to make these characters entertaining, they also managed to make them very true to life, uh, very similar to the people that they're imitating. And I think that can be hard to pull off. Like a lot yeah. of times a movie does one or the other, <laughs> um, <laughs> but man managing to do both just speaks to the charisma maybe of the folks at the center of this movie, but also just makes it really, really, really fun to watch. Um the only reason I like liked but didn't love this movie is some of it is just baked into the concept, right? Yeah. For one, this is a true story that most everyone already knows, which means even at the start of the movie when they were presenting it, they already acknowledged the bullet points of everything that's going to happen in the movie. And there's just inherently like some deflating of the dramatic excitement when you know exactly what is going to happen in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, another thing which I think they do their damnedest to get around is that swimming is crazy but it's largely an endurance sport like a survival sport at least the sort of thing that diana nyad is doing yeah and while it is really exciting and shocking to know that this happened and i think a documentary would be like mind-blowing yeah. of this there's something just inherently uncinematic about it because so much time has to take place so all you're doing is like cutting from one moment to another and then annette benning has to convince you that she is going through all of these difficulties but you don't see the kind of strenuous it, it's just it's different than rock climbing like it, you don't have that same kind of horror of what is going to happen it just doesn't feel quite the same yeah um and those are it is what it is like this is the movie they wanted to make and i think they did an awesome job with it i have trouble imagining a better story about diana nyad i don't know it seems like they were pretty involved, the real people, in the making of this story. I don't know how much more interesting or prickly or whatever it might have been if it were, like, less inspirational and, like, digging a little bit deeper. Yeah. Uh, but that's not what this movie's trying to do, and that's not what the audience wants from it. So, totally well done. I think um, I think Annette Benning is amazing in this movie. It's just, like, yeah, it did the thing. It did it yeah. well. Awesome. It's going to go on Netflix. People are going to love it. Yeah. That, that was kind of the end of my <laughs> to, to, <laughs> of my feeling. Yeah, not to continue to beat up on high school cheerleaders, but like this film convinces me that Annette Bening could swim 100 miles, right? Oh, for sure. And, and, and <laughs> backspot doesn't convince me that that girl could be a backspot. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on. I almost feel bad introducing this movie because I know you have an extra special soft spot for it. Um, <laughs> but this is Flora and Son, uh, the latest film by John Carney. I love everything John Carney has made, you know, loved once. I loved Begin Again, even though I don't remember it as well as some of the others now. Um, and I really, really, really loved Sing Street. It just came at a very 
the perfect moment for me. I probably watched it like four times the year that it came out and just <laughs> cried my eyes out. Um, big, big, big soft spot for this thing that he does. So I'm so excited to watch his latest movie. Um, it is the story of a woman. Um, I, I wouldn't say she's a young mother, but given the age of her child, she is exceptionally young. Um, yeah. she, she's a woman probably she in her 30s. She had a child young. She's... Yes. It, exactly. She, she's a woman in her 30s with a teenage child. Um, and she's, I'm not going to say struggling to get by necessarily, but they, they don't live a very glamorous life, you know, and her son is getting into all sorts of trouble and they, they have a good relationship, but she doesn't 100% know how to connect with him about some of the things he's going through. Um, she finds a guitar one day and pays to fix it up. And then because her son doesn't want to play, she f decides to take lessons on YouTube uh, where she meets forget the character's name, but Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, <laughs> yep. And this is really... Is um, Jeff? Uh, Jeff or Jack, something something yeah, J. They some, didn't go too far from short his real name. name. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, this is a movie that from there is really like all of John Carney's movies about like the power and joy of making music together. Uh, it happens in a few different ways. You know, uh, she creates music with her guitar instructor uh, over, you know, video chats. Uh, her son is making very different kind of like electronic music with rap beats. And the movie is just kind of about all the different ways you can express yourself and the joy of creativity. I thought it was super, super charming. Um, I think the cast is great. Uh, Eve Hewson, I don't know if I've seen her before. She plays Flora, but I think she is just wonderfully charming in this movie. Um, like she really does a lot with a script that not a criticism, but the script is not giving her a ton of amazingly dramatic moments. She like just makes every moment pop because she's just so fully fleshed out and fun to, fun yeah. to watch. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is great doing what he does here. And like, it, it, it's a charming movie. The, the music is great. It made me feel like smiling from ear to ear. There was a sing-along after the movie, which was just an absolute delight to yep. experience. <laughs> and this is just a, a rip roaring good time. Um, Compared to John Carney's other movies, it felt a little light for me on detail. I think my suspension of disbelief is higher when you're telling the story about a kid. It feels more like nostalgic and I'm more likely to just get excited about the music aspect here because it's about a mother. I still liked it a lot, but I, when I thought back to the story, I couldn't really remember what happened <laughs> over the runtime. All I remembered was liking the music and the characters. So I, I think this is... It's really pleasant, really charming. I'm, I'm going to have a blast revisiting it, and I'll probably get more out of it the next time around. We were sitting in a kind of hard-to-see-the-screen place that, that probably distracted me a bit from the movie, but <laughs> I have a little asterisk. I don't think this is a Sing Street or Once. I think this is much closer to Begin Again, maybe even a little below Begin Again, but it's also fucking charming as hell, and John Carney is a legend, and we should cherish him always. <laughs> Christopher, yeah. what did you think of this movie? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I was, you know, when I was doing the work to try to read the description of what turned out to be way more films than I thought when I first dove in to start reading the description of every film when we were booking tickets, um, I, got, I, I pulled up the page for Flora and Son and just saw Joseph Gordon-Levitt holding a guitar and was like, all right, well, that's already yeah, obviously. a must-see on the list. Um, and, you know, I, I so I was stoked for it going in. They released a trailer like four days before we hopped on a plane to come here. And the trailer is cut from what I would consider all the cheesiest bits from this film. And I got a little bit worried, if I'm honest. I was like, hmm, 
I don't know if this is going to hit the way that I want it to. Feels a little cheesy. Mm -hmm. Um, And it turns out that just, uh, you know, maybe there's a reason. Maybe they just wanted to hold back a lot of the really, really fun moments of this film. But that that trailer does not do justice to this film. Uh, I loved it. Uh, I thought it was incredibly fun. Once again, it it was like it was it was like hitman fun but with music <laughs> that was also good um and i and i think that like i instantly cared for all the characters in the story and just watching them play out and like the dynamic between this family like this is a this is a family where the parents are separated but they're both raising this like 17 year old kid or whatever it is and he's he's get, like it's sort of they have these this rivalry but like a a clear love and fondness for each other even though they're separated they're able to make fun of each other's new partners mm-hmm. and stuff like that and it's just like i i like every ounce of this film was cute and fun and like you know Steven referenced suspension of disbelief, but specifically about the kid. There is a there is a mechanic in this film that involves people playing music collaboratively mm-hmm. over great distances. And as two people who uh, record uh, a podcast remotely, we know that latency is a thing that plays into the ability to uh, play beat for beat with each other. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of like hard for me to accept, but I also immediately jettisoned into that because I, I, I love what this film was doing too much. You know, is it as good as all the other films in his, uh, you know, back catalog? Maybe not, but did it hit perfectly in the middle of a festival where I was getting a surprise number of good enjoyment, but there was also a few things that kind of let me down a little bit. And then getting to sit and just watch this film and kind of just love the beat to beat moments and the just the performances from these different, you know, all the all the actors. Um, it, it, it was it was enjoyable. And I I'm excited to return to this at the end of the month when it comes to Apple TV plus. Um, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of movies that hit for you, I'm gonna, (laughs) I'm gonna segue to one that definitely did not hit for you. Um, sorry to spoil everyone. Uh, and that is Harmony Corinne's Agro Drift, uh, Agro Drrr 1 FD. Um, what can I say about Agro Drift? What is the plot? Uh, it is like Richard Linkletter's latest. It follows a hitman. (laughs) <laughs> this is a all. I mean, it, yeah. I don't know if he counts as a hitman. <laughs> yeah, this. this, this he, he, I think he says he's the world's greatest hitman or assassin. Oh, maybe many he times. does. Um, but anyway, th- this is a movie that got a lot of attention for being all in thermal cameras, uh, all infrared. And going in, that was kind of like the main thing people talked about, as if it were going to be grading on the eyes or just a shocking stylistic choice that Harmony Corinne made. Um, I thought the infrared look totally fine you know uh, i'm not even going to try to say what this story is because the story is fucking nothing um and that is the problem with this movie this movie feels like a video game cutscene where nothing is happening where characters are just going on a loop uh, we are introduced to this assassin character he has murdered someone he goes home talks about his wife goes on a job and in this time we just get kind of repetitive the dumbest fucking dialogue in the world just this person saying over and over again like i am an assassin i am the greatest I am the greatest assassin. And like the characters kind of wobbling the way like a video game character would when having dialogue in Grand Theft Auto or something like that. And the whole movie is just this 
I read it as a big fuck you trolling exercise to the audience. Like one hundred percent. I I think the visual idea behind this movie was interesting, and if he had wanted to make a movie, any kind of movie about it, I would have at least been like, yeah, you did a swing and a miss. I see where you're going for, bro. I like it. I think he intentionally made a not movie, and the fact that people are still saying, oh my god, he fucking did it again. He pushed so many buttons. To me, is very embarrassing for the people saying that because I think Harmony Corinne is. He's not fucking with you in a way where you're in on the joke. I think he's literally just like shitting on the screen and saying, I dare you to tell me this is good. And people are falling for it. Um, I I just, I don't understand how anyone could like this movie. I found it incredibly grating, ridiculous. Um, there were moments of unintentional humor, maybe, or intentional humor. I don't know, because I don't know what he's doing, but it was just so fucking repetitive. Um, if I had not seen Mechtube My Love at Cannes, this would definitely be the worst film I've seen in competition at a festival. Um, <laughs> but now it'll just have to settle for second worst. Uh, yeah, this this movie fucking sucked. Christopher, how do you feel? Uh, so, if you've heard me talk about how I operate Letterboxd, <laughs> in the past on this podcast you know that i don't give star ratings to things i just log that i watch them and if i extra liked it i give it a heart this is one of the only films i've ever star rated and i gave it a half star which is the lowest amount of stars that you can give a film um because fucking i there, there are two things i said walking out of this film one is i uh ironically or satirically said oh I guess I guess actors and writers don't have to strike anymore because this film proves that chat GPT and uh, like mid journey and shit can't cause any problems for filmmakers. Yeah, um, because this feels like 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 you typed into a computer a thing and it spat out. It just shat out a script. And then he just I don't think mid journey would be too good because this film doesn't look right. as good as stuff you can get out of mid journey. But it feels like he like, you know. Just chat GPT script with stable diffusion, uh, make everything. And, and it's it's not even infrared because you're you're looking at cars where only the brakes are hot. Um, I I don't I don't know how cars work, but I'm pretty sure engines get hot. It's not just brakes. Um, so it feels like this is some weird filter put on everything. There's like the script doesn't exist um, other than that. It's like there might be a point like, yeah, yeah. Like it, it opens with like, a, I guess, almost a cool moment. Like yeah. a demon possesses a guy to assassinate a other assassin. Yeah, it tricks you into thinking you're about to watch a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then it just feels like it's just it's insanity. And like, I, I really do believe like the other thing that I said walking out of this and I won't completely use all the words I did because I don't want to spoil another film at the festival but <clears throat> in american fiction jeffrey wright's character makes a book that is him ironically trying to make the book that he thinks people are asking for and this feels like harmony corinne is like i'm gonna make a film that is so me that but is complete shit and people because it's me will praise it for the things that are actually shit that i'm doing and he put it out there and then somebody programmed it at the festival and for in all fairness, it was a Midnight Madness screening, so it's a very specific type of screening. It's not like it's in the special presentations or like the gala or, you know, it, it's Midnight Madness. So take that with whatever grains of salt is offered here in Toronto. But I just, I, it was aggressively bad. Um, and, 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 and the way that I, the, like the proof to me that it was so aggressively bad is that you know, Harmony Crane created this production company called Edlord, Edgelord fucking whatever right. it is. And the credits for this 
have more effort put into them than the film itself. Yeah. Which is like, to me, that like you can't have your credit sequence be more impressive than the film that you made. And I just, I, I couldn't, it was so fucking bad that, and I, I knew that I, I I'm just going to sit here through it because this is, I kept telling myself that like, this is the screening that I'm going to get COVID and hear it. Yeah. <laughs> because. Yeah. Chris was going to be the first spontaneous generation of COVID from within. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just, I, I like, I almost want people to check this film out so that they can understand, like, I was just about to say, there probably will never be a trailer for this, right? And then I look mm-hmm. down at the letterbox page and there's a button that says trailer on it. <laughs> yeah, this is the kind of thing where, you know, with every movie, when it gets critically bashed or whatever, there's always people who are like, critics don't like it, must be pretty good. <laughs> um, I would love all of those people to watch this movie, not in a crowd, not in a place where they have to posture, just in the quietness of the room, just alone, sit and watch it. And look themselves in the mirror and say, I like that. (laughs) Because it's just like, there is a bad guy in this movie, if you can call it a movie, again, big stretch, uh, who all we know about him is he's a big guy. And he walks around and goes like, "I'm, I'm a bad guy. I'm a big guy. You can't get me. I'm a bad guy. And it, this movie does not even feel like a drug fueled rave or whatever like like there there was an aspect of it where i wondered if this was like the the equivalent of like listening to kind of like droney hip-hop music or whatever where people are just like repeating something over and over again while vibes flash in front of you but i think again that would require more effort that would take something to make you feel a thing this movie is just it's a troll um and and it's really really inferior it's 100 percent. and and the worst part about it is i'm a fucking sucker because i watched this semi-ironically and then immediately it was like, oh, God damn it, the joke's on me. <laughs> uh, to be fair, I'm the one that made us watch it. So you can blame me. No, I, you didn't even look at the list of Midnight Madness. I just pointed to it and said, I'm guessing we have to watch this, that, right? Okay, that's so true. That's technically, true. I invited it upon myself and you just made the decision. But it wasn't like you were gunning for this one. Um, yeah, that, that's true. Yeah. It is there, your fault. <laughs> there wasn't like a spider demon that appeared behind you with a garage and just... <laughs> Yeah, forced you to book these tickets. That's true. Um, but anyways, let's move on to the next film, which is a little film called uh, One Life, which is, uh, you know, another year at the festival, another Anthony Hopkins film. Um, you know, th- this was this was eh, partially a last minute addition for us. I'm definitely I'm a fan of Anthony Hopkins um, performances in most things that I see him in. And, you know, th- it's. I don't know how many more festivals full of Anthony Hopkins pictures we're going to get to see. So I was excited to check this out. Um, and in this, um, he is playing a, a British stockbroker named Nicholas Winton, um, who had uh, visited Czechoslovakia um, in the 1930s, like right before the onset of World War II. And while he was in this visit, he saw the state that like these children, a lot of them Jewish children were were living in, like just living in these like tents and stuff on the street and decided like, hey, People with the ability to do something need to help get these ch- children out before the Nazis invade and kind of just made it his sort of life's work. And, you know, this story of what he did to rescue over 600 children um, has sort of been it. Apparently, it's been like lost the time, like lost the time, then rediscovered then lost the time again. And this is sort of the story of an old man who did this in like starting to like kind of 
he's basically trying to clean up his his wife is like going like hey you need to clean up all the shit in your study and as he's cleaning it up he's kind of revisiting what happened and trying to figure out somebody needs to have this scrapbook that i made from this time and it's sort of a combination of flash flashbacks to the real event and him in present present day trying to get in touch with people to sort of pay attention to what happened and it's not somebody who's like out there looking for a bunch of recognition he just like i don't want to dispose of this scrapbook about this event at times somebody who can historically document it should take this and we're kind of just watching this film um yeah i i thought the film was fine yeah <laughs> um I, i'm definitely like i feel a little bit neutral about this film um i you know it's it's a pretty by the numbers uh period piece um dealing with this subject matter it's not the only film <laughs> in this festival that deals with the subject matter um this definitely wasn't bringing the, uh, anything new to the the depiction of world war ii um but you know it it was what it was there's some there's some stuff at the end that was shocking to me not because of the reality of things happening but because uh, there is an or- I'll say there is an organization who made choices mm-hmm. uh, by the end of this film that shocked me in that like I can't believe the gall of an organization to do something like this. Uh, but uh, I'll I'll leave that for anybody who watches this film to uh, figure out uh, you know retroactively what I'm talking about right now. But yeah, I, I thought it was a fine film. Anthony Hopkins is great in it. Um, I I enjoyed it enough. Uh, but yeah, it, it didn't it didn't really stand out to me as something that I would like push people to go out and see. But I think if, you know, you're interested in checking out a story about this, you get basically the paint by the numbers version of it. Um, and you get to see Anthony Hopkins being a, an old man who just has genuine care for other people in the world and wanted to do right by as many children as he could. And it's great seeing him do that. So, yeah, I, I mostly agree with you. I think I'm a little bit more positive, even though my criticism, like I believe this is two movies smooshed together very awkwardly, where one movie is a completely paint-by-numbers biopic, take it or leave it, it is what it is, could have been a TV movie, whatever. It's executed fine, but it's just exactly what you would expect if you were doing a historical biopic of a character who helped helped people escape Czechoslovakia at the start of World War II. Um, and the other movie is this flash-forward movie about an elderly man who did something heroic, but rather than feel pride or joy in his heroism or want to brag about it, just feels this deep, abiding sadness for all of the tragedies that happened, all the people that were lost. You know, of course, Schindler's List also had some of this sentiment to it, too. But this, the Anthony Hopkins part of this movie is really just all about his empathy. You know, him... It, it's like he's the trauma sponge. He's like carrying the weight of all of these horrible things. And yeah. I thought there was something really beautiful and cathartic about that side of the movie. And I think I might have loved this if they managed to find a way to tell a whole movie that was just that part and not also cutting back to this very stereotypical middle of the road biopic um, reenactment of the events that he's remembering. Yeah. Um, I just, maybe it's because the zone of interest had calibrated me so far in the other direction of what does it feel like when people are calloused to other people's sufferings? This movie that was just like the, the idea of Anthony Hopkins as like a viewer or observer of tragedy, just like collecting each name weeping for each name, carrying it with him, feeling this burden for it. I, I, I thought there was just something really beautiful about what this movie was trying to do. And I wish it weren't 
carrying another totally boring <laughs> standard movie. But I still had a really soft spot for this because I think the Hopkins stuff, which picks up towards the sec- last third of the movie, maybe it becomes really almost all Anthony Hopkins. I thought that worked just phenomenally on me. Yeah, I, I think I think a good a good comparison that kind of explains sort of the paint by numbers aspect of it is this is the post to spotlight, mm-hmm. right? Like, and in, in, in this analogy, pick any World War II film is the spotlight version. And this is like the post version where it's like, yeah, they, they did stuff bureaucratically within this system of journalism and right. then published some stuff at the end or whatever, you know, like it's, it's a, it's a thing where it's like nothing that they're doing is that impressive. It's people sitting in rooms uh, basically filling out paperwork to get visas for people and then finding funding to put them on a train and then getting families to do it. But none of that is necessarily compelling. Like the fact that it happened is compelling, but like the presentation of it is not that compelling. It's like a guy repeatedly going into an office and being like, all right, we have one more train. Can you give us these visas? And he's like, you know that I can't. He's like, but you must. And the guy's like, all right, I'll give you the visas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's sort of just like yeah. that happens and that happens and that happens. But like watching old man, old, old, old man Hopkins, like uh, Sir Old Man Hopkins, mm-hmm. uh, kind of just like because because he did this thing, and it's not like a it's not like all the children had Facebooks that he could go check up on them or you know he couldn't follow them on X or anything, right? Um, there was no threads to, to dial into, so it was just kind of like I put them on a train maybe they're fine maybe they're not fine you know like it, it's it's he just kind of he did a thing in life wanted to do more was bound by the reality of what he could achieve and then kind of just went on with his life and had to move on and he thinks about it all the time but it's something he's carrying it with him because it's the uncertainty of what what could become of of all these children um that is is kind of weighing on him more than just the atrocities that were taking place at the time so it's you know it's interesting subject matter but it's the film doesn't know how to interestingly portray it yeah Uh, All right. The last film we're going to talk about uh, today is Smugglers. Uh, This is a movie out of Korea. I get the sense that this is kind of like a big budget action film from Korea. It didn't feel like a like intimate festival movie by any means. It felt like an opportunity to give a North American premiere to a movie that is already gaining popularity (laughs) um, overseas. Um, It is about a group of all women smugglers. They basically they at first they are fishing. Basically, they're they're on boats. They go out to sea, they deep dive to pick up like clams and cockles and things like that. And then eventually they get into smuggling instead. Um, I'll, I'll skip over the plot points of how that happens. There's a time gap where people are arrested. There are, you know, allegiances that swerve in different ways. But this basically becomes the equivalent of like a twisty heist movie yeah. <laughs> where people get in over their head in this grand scheme and they have to find a way to get out of it. Um, I feel so conflicted about this movie. I put a star rating on it, but I honestly have no idea what star rating makes sense. Like, on one hand, this is a kind of cheesy, typical, you know, like a movie that's just like broadly entertaining, but feels like it's not really going for a whole lot. Um, for a lot of the runtime, it, it just felt very... 
I don't know the right word to describe it. I think sitting in a festival, I was surprised to be watching it for part of it because it didn't seem like it had any like ambitions of grandeur or anything like that. And then there are a few things that are really fun. Like I think the lead actresses are occasionally super fun to watch. There are a few really, really good exchanges. Yeah. Uh, there's also a shockingly good uh, fight choreography that, like uh, an old boy hallway fight type thing that happens that comes out of nowhere late in the movie it did it's like hammy and everyone is having so much fun and the audience was like roaring with laughter and i i don't know i think this might actually be like really good and i just was not prepared for what i was going to watch like i i couldn't tell it, it is like a 70s throwback movie set in korea and so that mishmash of i don't think i'd ever seen a throwback set in an asian country before where they're like it's it's like our own like austin powers or something like it yeah. has the kind of like over the top fashion choices and the haircuts and the way characters behave in it there was some of it that i think the degree to which it was trying to be silly and trying to be a straightforward action movie was like maybe lost on me so i didn't know totally how to receive it but the director has the fucking goods. Like they, there are moments in this movie that are a whole lot of fun. Like it, it was never boring. I will say that it was, it was never a boring experience. Yeah. But I don't know what else to make of it. Cause it just, <laughs> it feels like he had this ace up his sleeve of like, Oh, do you want an incredible action sequence? I can do that too. Okay. Let's cut back to CGI sharks. Like, like yeah. there, there, it was a combination that I didn't totally understand, but I'm, I'm intrigued by it. I, I think if this is like the big budget spectacle happening in Korea, I would prefer this to a lot of big budget spectacles that we see in the U.S. So yeah. I don't know. I, I felt warm toward it and I honestly kind of want to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> so so when we were getting ready to book these tickets, you know, we did most of the booking as just one off purchases of tickets. Uh, but before basically the schedule was announced, uh, Tiff was selling these packages and one of the packages that we bought were the, uh, the premieres package or something like that. Turns out it was premiering all like Korean films because we got them for not free. Cause we bought a ticket package ticket, but like, because they were already on our schedule, didn't bother reading anything. So every time I walked into these, one of these films, all I knew was like the header image for the page about it. And the fact that we were seeing it because we already had tickets for it. So yeah. I didn't know what to expect when I came into Smugglers. Um, I definitely didn't expect, like, you know, out at sea diving Smugglers. <laughs> that was not something I was expecting. Because the picture, yeah, the picture is like 70s haircut woman, like, really close up. And I was like, all right, they're going to be smuggling stuff somehow. Cool. Um, <laughs> this feels fucking dope. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I like it's you know as they've already mentioned it's like a seventies film, uh, scored like a Bond film, yeah. and it's it's zany. Everybody is having a good time. Uh, it's kind of like crazy. Like there are moments of genuine like oh my god, what's gonna happen next? This is crazy, and, and then it gets super super violent out of nowhere, and it's just I like it. This film is long. <laughs> At least it felt long. It might, maybe it's not actually long, but like there's a whole like spanning of stuff that happens. There's kind of, it's kind of like two, you could almost split this film in half of mm -hmm. like the before time and the after time of like this inciting event. Um, but like I, yeah, I was. <laughs> I was shocked at how much I was enjoying it the whole time. I don't know what to do with the film. Yeah. But like I like I, I said this about another film and I can't remember if it was positive or negative, but like if you just like pulled onto Netflix and it was like number one in ten countries and you're like, I'm gonna watch this film, you'd be like, that was fucking hilarious. Like what what was that? And it would just make you like you would enjoy watching this film. I don't. I don't know if this is something you should run out and see when it becomes available. However, it's going to eventually become available in the United States. Um, but it, I, 
I, I had fun with it. And yeah. that's, that's, I, I can't say more than that. Like it was, it was definitely a thing that like kept me paying attention, kept me excited to see what was going to happen to the characters. Um, and you know, they all get their moment to shine. It feels like this was like a, like an ensemble cast sort of oh, thing yeah, where like sure. every character is somebody that's huge in Korea that I know nothing about. And it feels like they each give their moment to play something. I don't know if it relates to past roles they've had before or if it's just a fun thing for them to chew the scenery with. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's fun. And, uh, I enjoyed it it, so. de- it definitely benefited from the live audience too because there was at least in our section like a quite a few korean viewers who were watching and they were like you could tell because in the in the opening during the introduction of the film they were like laughing and cheering before the translator would speak right yeah and yeah, yeah. the the like claps whenever a new face would appear made it clear that this is like the ocean's 11 you know yeah, <laughs> like yeah. like this is just everyone is hamming it up and that it, it was just a lot of fun to recognize get a little bit of a sense of just how big this movie probably is because if i were scrolling through it on netflix i maybe would have no idea but like you i would probably be bewildered and delighted yeah and and if you want to do some internet sleuthing there's probably no less than like 30 videos on cell phones um from other people who are viewing because the cast, you know, they did their thing on stage and then they came back and sat in the balcony next to us. Mm-hmm. So there was a moment when they were walking in when just like everybody who knew who they were in our little balcony section all opened their phones, put it on video mode and just pointed it across us yep. to their balcony. So if you want to see us, uh, we're there somewhere on the Internet, probably. Yeah. And by far my biggest tweet out of Cannes was a video I filmed of Cobweb, which come to think of it was also a 70s throwback Korean movie um, with a all-star cast. And the internet went way, way, way more crazy about that than anything else. So Hmm. I think this is our new gig. I think we just need to get fully into uh, Korean blockbuster cinema. It's it's basically like it's like Forrest Gump where we're just taking all these moments from Korean cinema <laughs> we, we where just show happen up, to be there. Show up at every premiere. Hey, I mean, I'm down. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, know what else I'm down for, Stephen? What? Wrapping up this episode of the podcast. Hell yeah. <laughs> we're going to end it here. This is part two of our coverage of TIFF 2023. Um, we will have one more episode where we knock out the rest of the films. We're going to record that after we fly home and we're back and uh, at our homes in San Francisco. Um, so for now, Stephen Miller, people want to find you throughout the week. Where can they do that? If people want to find me, they can go to x.com slash Miller everywhere with S. David Miller. Uh, I'm on all the sites, except I don't toot. Um, maybe someday I'll toot. Uh, or sdavidmiller.com. Is everywhere a new service that I don't know about yet? Oh, yeah. Oh, you got to get on. It's invite only. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, hopefully one day I'll get an invite to everywhere. Um, people can find me at chrisprinrollet.com or twitter.com slash chrisprinrollet. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so on Overcast, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. Um, if you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning, facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning, or instagram.com slash thespoilerwarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com, or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from that little jingle, the TIFF 2023 Welcome to the Festival video. Um, so hopefully you're enjoying all those people talking about coming to Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, as we said, we are tired. Festival's done. We uh, wake up at 5 a.m. tomorrow to head off to the airport to fly home. So, uh, And then I go to jury duty. Yay! So yay. Um, so have fun, everybody. And we'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.